We've come to the last of the Messianic Psalms. And I do ask you to say a quick prayer for me. It begins, Lord, remember David and all his afflictions. Now some debate, if you read theological scholars on whether David wrote this or whether Solomon wrote this, as far as that goes, the Holy Spirit wrote this. Both were prophets according to Acts chapter 2. Personally, I believe it's penned of David. But he says, Lord, remember David. You know, David was the man after God's own heart. When Saul rebelled against God, David was appointed of God. He was born of the Spirit of God. He was anointed of God. He was born of the Spirit of God before he was ever anointed king. But God anointed him king. And I can tell you that because David was a man after God's own heart and sought after the Lord before he was ever king. Prime example is 1 Samuel 17 where he stood before the giant and slew him because he dared defy the armies of the living God. But he says, Lord, remember David and all his afflictions. And we can certainly stand up here for months and talk about the afflictions of David. He was also a type of Christ and we can talk to about the afflictions of Christ. And although this psalm is dealing with David, I want you to see that it's truly pointing to the Lord Jesus Christ. As the psalmist is praying, remember David, the man whom thou chosest, the man whom thou made king, set him as king over all Israel, gave him rest from all his enemies around, a man of war, a man of much bloodshed, suffered affliction from his enemies, suffered affliction from his own family. Can we not see Christ in this? The man, Jesus Christ, all God and all man, from the seed of David through Mary and Joseph, although Joseph was not his father in the sense of him coming from the loins of Joseph because she conceived of the Holy Ghost. But as we see the Lord Jesus Christ, my servant, my elect, He whom God chose, He whom God formed, He whom God prepared a body in the womb of the virgin, He whom God prepared a people when He came into this world, He who was rejected of His own people, the Jews received Him not and rebelled against Him not to mention those who were not among God's elect in the Gentile nations who were carried away in idolatry and paganism. But God made a promise to David, a covenant, an oath, and God is the keeper of covenants. He cannot lie. And God made a covenant with the Lord Jesus Christ testified of and. John chapter 6, all the Father giveth me shall come unto me. Every elect child of God. Last week we talked about Ephesians 1 and 4 and Christ being bound to the altar by the covenant of grace according as He hath chosen us and Him from before the foundation of the world that we should be holy without blame before 
God the Father in love. God made oath to David not because God made has to make oath. God cannot lie. If God says it, it is so, it is done. It will be done in God's times, pointing to Christ, which in the fullness of time, at God's time, the place in the time that God appointed that the Son of God was born into the world and God had made covenant with Him to give Him the people that He would die for and raise up. Now, with that said, the psalmist is crying, Lord, remember David and all his afflictions. Remember your oath. God gave oath to confirm it in our mind, in our heart, in our soul. That is for our benefit. That is so that we can read and see and understand and know that the God who cannot lie made oath, a promise of what He was going to do. Why do we joy when we lose loved ones in the world? Because if Armand Rich said one time, there will not be a good man in hell. Because man is depraved. If there's goodness in him, the Lord put it there. I amen that highly, Brother Armand. If our loved ones are good people and love God and love their families, then when they leave their body, they were Christ in heaven above. We know that. That's a promise of God. God cannot lie. And God made promise with Christ. The living Word, which is made flesh. And Christ fulfilled that promise in dying for His people and being raised again for the justification. Lord, remember David and all his afflictions, how he swore unto the Lord. Now this is David. And vowed unto the mighty God of Jacob. What did he vow? He vowed to build the house of God. David, as we read, and I'm not going to have time to read all this probably, but David had looked around himself, the Lord had been with him, and David realizing that the ark of God, which is a type of Christ where God would dwell with His people, not going heavily into the ark today, just that it was overlaid with pure gold, which teaches us of the righteousness of Christ. And the two cherubs upon the mercy seat facing one another, one representing the Son of Man, one representing the Son of God, looking towards each other because their works agree. And God would appear from between those cherubs to His people in a thick cloud in mercy. That's why it was called the mercy seat. Depraved humans cannot look upon the Lord. God would appear in a thick cloud for the same reason the Son of God, the living Word, was made flesh and laid the glory of the Godhead aside. We covered that last week. Lest we would have been consumed in the righteousness of God because we're sin. But David wanted to build a house for God. The ark of God, the type of Christ, was carried about and dwelt in tabernacles and in tents. As they wandered through the wilderness... And the time had come that God was going to establish that He was with His people. And David, by placing the ark in a house, David sought to build a house for God. God told him 
told Nathan to tell David, I've dwelt in tents and tabernacles. I don't need man to build me a house. Man cannot build this house. That's why we see in Hebrews 3, Christ, who's more faithful than Moses, who built the house of God, We understand that the house of God is built of precious, lively, living stones. That's each and every child of God. Elect, Jew and Gentile, from before the foundation of the world. David sought to build the house, but God told him, I've dwelt in tents and curtains. You shall not build me a house, but I will build you a house. Now David, God had already built him a house, of cedars. Because in God's blessing around him, all the kingdoms around him had sent things into the kingdom to David. And what eventually this would be a type of is the church. Because all of the things sent into the kingdom of Israel were outside the kingdom of Israel. That is teaching us of the Gentiles and the New Testament church who were outside the kingdom of Israel. As Paul said in Ephesians, without God in the world. Yet God would gather them, God would bring them and translate them into the kingdom of His dear Son. All of these things came from outside Israel. There was not the sound of a tool heard in the whole house when it was constructed. That teaches us that man would not and could not build the church, the house of God. It had to be in Christ. There is no other way. Yet David did prepare. David did have all the stones and all the cedars and gold and all the things which were there to build the temple. David did have workers prepared, workmen. Now, in that we see David as a type of the father and Solomon as a type of the son because God had prepared the time and God had prepared a people for His Son to worship Him after He finished the work the Father gave Him to do. When the church was created, and the church was not created on the day of Pentecost, the church was created in Mark chapter 1, the beginning of the Gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. It's created when the Christ entered the world. But my point with all this is that God the Father had these things prepared. Whether they were suffered of God, such as His death, burial, and resurrection, those wicked men that turned against Him and rejected Him, or whether they were saved of God in the blood of Christ, the things that God had forged ordained and suffered to be the things He appointed that would happen to override and overrule the sins of man and work to the salvation of His people through the Lamb of God. O Lord, remember David and all his afflictions, how he swore unto the Lord and vowed unto the mighty God of Jacob, Surely I will not come into the tabernacle of my house, nor go up into my bed. I will not give sleep to mine eyes, nor slumber to my eyelids until I find out a place for the Lord and habitation 
of the mighty God of Jacob. First of all, the habitation of God was in the Old Testament, in the law, in that time period. In that sense, that was the first world in religious sense, in spiritual sense. We're living in the second stage because we're in grace. We're living in the latter days because we're in grace. We're awaiting the final delivery just as the old Jerusalem was done away with, the new Jerusalem is here. We're looking for the holy city in heaven above. But with that said, all of the Old Testament dwelling place of God is contained in Exodus 25. All those things built for a place where God would dwell with His people. Now secondary on these few paragraphs, David says, I will not come into the tabernacle of my house and go up into my bed. I will not give sleep to mine eyes or slumber till mine eyelids until I find out a place for the Lord and habitation for the mighty God of Jacob. What David found, he found because the Lord led him there and revealed it to him. And it is where the kingdom would be built and the altar and the temple and all that there it is. Now, David saying, I will not sleep. Had David not slept or eaten or taken rest, he would have perished because there's some quite a time period for David would not build the house. God putting Solomon in a type of Christ and David as a type of the father, said, you shall not build me a house. Your son shall build me a house. And again, the church is built on Jesus Christ and His righteousness. The rock of revelation, the knowledge of God in your heart. David is simply saying, I'll have no peace, I'll have no rest until the ark of God has a resting place. Now with that said, Christ, from before the foundation of the world, had no rest. I'm not saying He labored and got tired and had no rest. The sixth day creation was finished. Man and woman were the last things He created. The seventh day, God rested. That did not mean God was tired. That meant His work was complete. Christ, and I do believe in anticipation, if I may use that example, Acts chapter 1 says, after His passion, after His crucifixion, after His death, burial, and resurrection, He sent forth His apostles to Jerusalem and in Samaria, and the uttermost ends of the world, to gather His people together, not to life, that's done by the Spirit of God when God quickens you, but by the preaching of the Gospel to gather them together into the church to the worship of God, to obtain the glory of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. David said, I can't rest till this is done. Christ is saying in anticipation, I do believe that He was in that awaiting the day, if that makes sense. And I'm not talking about... This is an example. That's what I'm saying. Of how Christ 
eagerly awaited His passion, His death, burial, and resurrection. The salvation of His people. The glory of God. The glory of the Godhead. The glory of the very Son of God, the living Word. And the man, Jesus Christ. They shall have no rest until I find out a place for the Lord and habitation for the mighty God of Jacob. God dwelt in tents and tabernacles. Solomon would build the house of God and the ark would be placed in its its place which God ordained in order to show us Christ, in order to teach us Christ. Up until that point, the ark of God had been carried by the Levitical priesthood everywhere they went. They took the ark with them. Everywhere they went, they carried the ark with them. The ark was set in its place and the staves which were overlaid with pure gold, the staves by which they carried the ark were removed from the ark. What does that teach us? That teaches us that as they carried the ark, as we strive to carry Christ, that the time would come of necessity because we're flesh and blood and sinful, that God Himself would remove the stays by which Christ was carried. Christ now carries us. It rested in the temple. It rested. Christ rests. Why does Christ rest? Back to Genesis creation again. Because His work is finished in the work of eternal salvation. Christ dwells within us. The Spirit of Christ is within us. The Spirit of God. That's what gives us life. That's what quickens us when we're dead and trespass and sins. It does not work on a timetable. The Son of Man quickeneth whom He will and when He will. And that life is instant. When they hear the voice of the Son of God, the Spirit of God, when God writes His law on their inward parts, they are immediately alive and dead to sin because Christ died for us. Lo, we heard of it at Ephrathah. Genesis 35, you will see that Rachel died on the way to Ephrathah. What's the importance of that? When Jacob was sent to take a bride by his father, he saw Rachel. He loved her instantly. The name means E-W-E, the mother of the sheep. But he was deceived, and his father, her father Laban gave him Leah. He served seven years for Leah. He served seven years for Rachel. They both had offspring. Their handmaids had offspring. That's where Israel came from. Not from the loins of kings and queens, but from the loins of servants and slaves and concubines and wives of this man Jacob, who was a planner and deceiver, until the Lord quickened him. And she died on the way to Ephrathah. And if you finish that text, you'll see where it says to Ephrathah. Ephrathah is Bethlehem. 
That's where Rachel died. That's where Benjamin, the only child of Jacob, which was born in the promised land. That's where she died. That's where he was born. There was death of finishing or fulfilling of the law. And the New Testament worship in a type began. But we see Benjamin, who was called by his mother, the son of my sorrows, for she bore him and she died. And we see his father, a type of God, in this sense, the father. And to him, Benjamin means the son of the right hand. The only one born in the promised land. This hand of power. The hand of strength and might. And that, of course, is Christ. Micah 5.2 But thou, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall he come forth unto me, that is to be ruler in Israel, whose goings have been from of old and from everlasting. Christ was born in Bethlehem of Judea. Bethlehem Ephrathah. That's what the Bible teaches. So God, He says, we heard of it, the ark in Ephrathah. We found it in the fields of the wood. 1 Samuel, if I can find this, I will read it to you. 7, we understand that the ark of God is in the days of Samuel. This is before David was king. And the men of Kerjath Jerem came and fetched up the ark of the Lord. Briefly, God's people had sinned. They turned away from the Lord. Does that sound like today? They were worshiping the gods of the people around them. And they lost the ark. Didn't mean they weren't God's children. God had chosen that physical nation and in that time period they were His children. But they lost the ark. The men of Kerjatherim, which means the land of the woods, the wood city, fetched up the ark of the Lord and brought it to the house of Abinadab in the hill and sanctified Eleazar his son to keep the ark of the Lord. We find, is it First Chronicles or Second? I think it's First. Yes. I'll just be brief for time. The 13th chapter, the 5th verse. So David gathered all Israel together from Shahor of Egypt even to the entering of Hamath to bring the ark of God from Kerjath-Jerim. David, some many years later, 20 hits me for some reason in my mind, retrieved the ark of God and brought it back to the city. That's why he says, we've heard of it at Ephrathah, a prophecy of Christ being born in Rachel, in Micah 5.2. We found it in the fields of the wood, the wood city. 
This is the ark of God. This is the type of Christ. This is what they gathered around to worship. This is through which God gave them wisdom and communed with them. Today, God does that with us through Christ. And in that time, even though it was a type, it was still through Christ, for there's no other way to know God or see God or understand God except in the Lord Jesus Christ. And because of that, we will go into His tabernacles. Let's go to the tabernacle and worship. Gather around the ark. We will worship at His footstool. They call the ark His footstool. We will come there. We will gather around it. We will be all around it. The ark of God, the type of Christ, would be the center, the primary focus of our worship. He has... Preeminence. It's all about Him. Today, we come into the church to worship God. I won't touch long on this, but I'm going to make a point of it in all this fancy pretty world with all the silver things that distract us. We don't have praise in worship teams. We don't need that. We have the Spirit of God by His grace. We don't have musical instruments. We don't need that. We have our hearts crying out with our voices to sing praise to who? The Son of God. Christ the man. We come into His tabernacle and we worship at His footstool. Arise, O Lord. This is saying, get up, Lord, in Thy strength, in Thy might, in Thy power, into Thy rest. This psalm is about the eternal throne of the Son of God. Now, He sits. He arose. He would finish the work. And He rests. Oh, He stands. He stood with Stephen and delivered him when he was being stoned. But the salvation of God to His people and eternity is completed. And from that, He rests. Arise, O Lord, into Thy rest. Christ ascended to the right hand of the Majesty on high. He sits at God the Father's right hand. I'm talking about the man Jesus Christ. Sits at the Father's right hand in Majesty, uh, in high above all the sin and death of this world. Arise, O Lord, into Thy rest. Thou in the ark of Thy strength. Of course, we know, we've said it many times, Christ is the strength of God. He's the power of God manifested to us. By Him were the worlds created. Let thy priest be clothed with righteousness. This is an emblem in that day of the beautiful robes of the priest. This is an emblem of our high priest, Jesus Christ, in His righteousness. This is also an, a picture of the children of God, born of the Spirit of God, clothed in the righteousness of God. A man who is called to preach the Gospel is called of God in Christ and sent forth for the sake of the glory of Christ. His gift is from above. His tongue speaks from God just as did all the prophets, just as did all the apostles and disciples in the first century church. 
Righteousness is imputed to them. But when a minister of God in the New Testament separates himself and strives to walk in the righteousness of God, he is glorified by God. The children of God appreciate Him and love Him and pray for Him. And Satan seeks even the more to devour Him because if he gets this man, if he gets this minister then the church suffers or the church splits. Let thy priest be clothed with righteousness, for God clothes them. And let thy saints shout for joy, shouting the Gospel, shouting praise. Christ rode into Jerusalem in a coat, the fold of an ass. They cried, Hosanna, save Lord. For joy. Because the Christ come into the world. For thy servant David's sake, because of the oath that God who cannot lie made to David, and Solomon also in that sense, because God had said, Thy son shall build the house, and to Christ, who is God's only begotten Son, whom God had made oath before the world ever was, in the covenant of grace, Ephesians 1 and 4 again. For thy servant David's sake, whether David the man or David the Christ, the seed of David, turn not away the face of thine anointed. David was anointed. He was born of the Spirit of God. David was later anointed king. People get confused and wonder, and it is uh, no wonder that we get confused and wonder why would the living Word of God, the second person of the Godhead, have to be anointed with the Spirit of God? I answer that this way. When the man, Jesus Christ, at His baptism, and John saw the Spirit in fullness descending upon Him, this was a man. This was a man in the flesh with all the emotions, all the troubles and trials of the flesh and the persecutions. He got hungry. He got tired. He hurt. He had pain. All the things contained in the flesh. He bore yet without sin. He was anointed of God. For thy servants say, Christ, turn not away from the face of thy anointed. The Lord has sworn in truth unto David. He will not turn from it. Of the fruit of thy body will I sit upon thy throne. Now this is why I believe David is the psalmist. In Acts chapter 2, the preaching of the apostle Peter, I'll begin in verse 29, read a few verses. Men and brethren, let me freely speak unto you of the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried, and his sepulcher is with us unto this day. Therefore, being a prophet, and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that of the fruit of his loins, according to the flesh, he would raise up Christ to sit on his throne. This goes right where we're at. God promised to David. I believe David wrote that. He seeing this before spake of the resurrection of Christ, that his soul was not left in hell the grave, neither did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus hath God raised up, wherefore we are all witnesses. Therefore, being by the right hand of God exalted, and having received of the Father the promise of the Holy Ghost, he has shed forth this which you now see and hear, for David is not ascended in the heavens, but he said, 
Himself the Lord, the Father, said unto my Lord Christ, Sit thou on my right hand until I make thy enemies thy footstool. And here's the point of the man, Jesus Christ. Therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made that same Jesus, that man born of a woman in flesh, God hath made that same Jesus whom ye have crucified, both Lord and Christ. Now, the Lord has sworn in truth unto David, He will not turn from it, and the fruit of thy body will I set upon thy throne. The seed of David sat upon the throne until the time of captivity. What happened? God's people disobeyed Him. God's people turned away from Him. God's people walked in idolatry. God's people walked in sin. They murdered their children. And God delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar. There was not another seed of David upon the throne, for there was no one to sit upon the throne at all until Christ came. Fulfilling Luke chapter 1, the angel came to Mary. Hail thou that art highly favored, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. And when she saw him, she was troubled as saying, cast in her mind what manner of salutation this should be. Luke one thirty. And the angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb and bring forth a son and shalt call his name Jesus. This is the man Jesus Christ in the flesh, his mother being Mary of the seed of David. He shall be great and shall be called the Son of the Highest, and the Lord God shall give unto Him the throne of His father David. God promised David His seed would inherit the throne forever. All that and the best man could do in his sinful condition is turn away from God and rebel against God. All that God made right in Christ. He saved His people from their sins. The King of glory had entered the world laying His glory aside to suffer and bleed and die for His children. He sits the seed of David upon the throne forever and ever. And He shall reign over the house of Jacob forever, throughout eternity, here in the world. And of His kingdom there shall be no end. If thy children will keep My covenant and My testimony that I shall teach them, their children shall also sit upon thy throne forevermore. Well, His children did not keep His testimony. His children did not keep His covenant. God's the only one who ever kept covenant. So they didn't sit upon the throne. Nebuchadnezzar took Jerusalem. For the Lord hath chosen Zion. He hath desired it for His habitation. This is the place where God would choose 
This is the place that God had ordained where He would dwell with His people. You see what we've read already and tried to speak briefly of in 2 Chronicles chapter 6 from the tongue of Solomon. And I'm quite sure from the sound of it and reading it, he took it from his father. God made covenant and God made statement. Over here He says, if thy children will keep my covenant, my testimony, then I'll teach them and their seeds children so they'll sit upon the throne forevermore. Solomon's prayer, God answered. God answered his prayer when they dedicated the temple. And he said, I have heard thy prayer, have chosen this place to myself for a house of sacrifice. God chose the place. We don't have a single solitary place in this world to worship God. We've got little churches spread everywhere. The place of God is in your body, for your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost. Condense it, make it short for time. But God said, if I shut up heaven that there be no rain, if I command the locusts to devour the land, or if I send a pestilence among my people, if my people, the elect of God, which are called by my name, they call us Christians, they were first called that in Antioch, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face. And don't stop there and turn from their wicked ways. I have wicked ways. Satan seeks to devour me. I have to turn daily. I've prayed all day and all night and all day the day before. God would help me because I've been, I've been torn up all week. I haven't studied. I haven't been able to comprehend when I did try to study. My mind goes to, to different things. I want to be angry, wanting to be this, wanting to be that. Turn from your wicked ways. We walk forward in faith, loving God, praising God, trusting in God. Turn from our wicked ways. Then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. That applies today. Children of God repenting and God healing the land. I've said this for 24, 5, 6, 7 years. But stops here. We want the Lord to add to the church. The Lord adds. There's no other way to get anybody in the church except the Lord adds. When we follow the teachings of Christ, when we humble ourselves, when we pray, when we seek His face, when we turn away from the world, we turn away from the shiny things of the world. When we turn away from the winds of doctrine of the world. When we turn away from worshiping a dollar or a preacher or, or anything else. And turn from our wicked ways. Oh, we'll turn back to them, but we have to keep turning back to God. Draw nigh unto God, and He'll draw nigh unto thee. That's a daily, momentarily occurrence over and over and over. And He'll heal our land. For the Lord hath chosen Zion, He hath desired it for His own habitation. This is my rest forever. Here will I dwell, for I 
have desired it. Start with Him desiring it from before the foundation of the world. When He would save God's people from their sins, He'd make atonement at one minute with God, bring us back to God. He would redeem us. He would bring us back to the Lord our Father. He desired it. That was His passion to suffer and bleed and die. This is my rest forever. That work is finished. Unlike the priest who died and someone else will take their ministry, his ministry is forever. He will never die. He forever maketh intercession for the saints. Here is where He dwells. He dwells with His children individually as a personal Savior, as so many like to say. Well, I'm going to tell you, He is. He knows you by name, you personally. If you love Him, you personally. Even the hairs of your head are numbered. He's that intimate with you. He knows you that well. He loves you that well. And His work of eternal life is finished and in that He rests. And it's an eternal throne that He lives and reigns from here forever. I will abundantly bless her provision. I will satisfy her poor with bread. Everything we need, He provides physically. Physically. Meat, bread, water, clothing, homes, the rain, everything we need to sustain life while we live in this body of flesh He provides. May not be what we want, but it'll sustain us. Now let's talk about spiritual. As the fathers in Israel were given manna and instructed how to eat it and use it and how much to get, God Himself feeds us and Christ with this. That was called angel food. We have true angel food today. God gives us the knowledge which angels have desired to look into of the salvation of God's people through our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ who sits upon the throne of glory reigning over the wicked, reigning over the earth, reigning over all things created, but reigning over His people in an intimate, special way of deep, deep love. (coughs) Feeding the poor, whether it's the poor who lack bread in the world or whether it's the poor who seek after righteousness, the bread from heaven. I will also clothe her priest with salvation. This could mean the Levitical priesthood and the beauty of their garments. This could mean the ministry whom Satan especially 
recently in this world. I could give you examples. I pray, Lord, keep me from this. Just as I prayed the other day, Lord, I'm not Job. Please don't put this upon me. I can't bear it. Satan seeks to devour for the destruction of the priesthood and the church. What I believe this is talking about, clothing her priest with salvation, since you are all, if you love God, a royal priesthood and holy nation, is the imputed righteousness of Jesus Christ upon each born-again child of God. I will also clothe her priest with salvation and her saints shall shout aloud for joy, shouting in her hearts and her mind, our soul, our spirit, as we cry unto the God of heaven, Abba, Father, thank You for the Lord Jesus Christ who saved me when I was a sinner, who carries me while this body is still sin, who will deliver me to a land and a time and a place where there will be no more time and there will be no more sin and there will be no more death. And I and every child of God, I hope I, will be raised up in the righteousness of the Son of God. I told him at the funeral Monday, I said, Christ appeared. He took... Peter, James, and John, Matthew 17, up into a mountain, high part to pray. He appeared before them. He was, he was transfigured. He did not reveal unto them His glory. Had He revealed His glory, they'd have been consumed. He laid that aside. He revealed to them His righteousness. He was cleaner, whiter, purer than anything in the world. That's how a child of God will come up in the righteousness of Christ. His blood hath made us pure just as He is pure. There will I make the horn of David power. Luke 1.69 says, The Lord raised up a horn of David. Zechariah saying this of the Christ whom John would testify of and prepare the way for. There will I make the house of David to bud, to grow, to flourish. I have ordained a lamp, a light, a candle in that day for mine anointing. God hath given His anointed. God hath given His people... God hath given the born-again child of God a candle, a light. Christ is that light that drives the darkness away from our soul. His enemies of Christ, just like the enemies of David, just like our enemies today, because they are the enemies of Christ, will I close with shame. Many people today in religious circles, all they do is beg for money. They're clothed with shame. They can't see it. They don't know it. They don't understand it because they're natural men. I could give you other examples, but you get the point. Daniel 12 teaches us that many of them would sleep to dust to earth shall come forth and some of them would then go to everlasting righteousness and life and some of them to everlasting shame and contempt. When the last day is here in the day of judgment, they will be cast into shame and contempt 
forever. That is the judgment of God. But upon Himself, upon the Christ of God, upon the man Jesus Christ, shall His crown flourish. It'll flourish. Just now hit my mind. You see in Ezekiel chapter 1, the fire and that whirlwind that was enfolding itself. And I've said this before, you may remember it, but a fire burns from the inside out. The coals burn, they get hot, and eventually may take a week, but they die out. And I've said on that because it's time to quit, but I want you to understand that fire and that whirlwind burned from the outside in. It was ever growing. It was eternal. And it was the glory of God in Christ. Christ's crown will flourish. It will never cease. It will never stop. He sits upon the throne of David. He reigns over Israel, God's spiritual elect. He reigns over the house of Jacob, God's elect, those who were sinners that God has cleansed, those that were deceivers that God has cleansed, and His crown shall flourish. It will never, ever, in any way, go away. Or be burned out. Or stop. It is His throne forever. And He is in... I'm talking about the man in the body of flesh is the one sitting upon that throne, our Lord Jesus Christ.